0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe Chapter 3 Wrecked on a Desert Island Part 2 And what to do next with myself I was to consider. The generous treatment the captain gave me I can never enough remember. He would take nothing of me for my passage, gave me twenty ducats for the leopard's skin, and forty for the lion's skin, which I had in my boat, and caused everything I had in the ship to be punctually delivered to me. And what I was willing to sell he bought of me, such as the case of bottles, two of my guns, and a piece of the lump of beeswax, for I had made candles of the rest. In a word... I made about two hundred and twenty pieces of eight of all my cargo, and with this stock I went on shore in the Brazils. I had not been long here before I was recommended to the house of a good, honest man like himself, who had an ingenio, as they call it, that is, a plantation and a sugar house. I lived with him some time, and acquainted myself by that means with the manner of planting and making of sugar, and seeing how well the planters lived, and how they got rich suddenly, I resolved, if I could get a license to settle there, I would turn planter among them, resolving in the meantime to find out some way to get my money, which I had left in London, remitted to me. To this purpose, getting a kind of letter of naturalization, I purchased as much land that was uncured as my money would reach, and formed a plan for my plantation and settlement, such a one as might be suitable to the stock which I proposed to myself to receive from England. I had a neighbor— a Portuguese of Lisbon, but born of English parents, whose name was Wells, and in much such circumstances as I was. I call him my neighbor because his plantation lay next to mine, and we went on very sociably together. My stock was but low, as well as his, and we rather planted for food than anything else for about two years. However, we began to increase, and our land began to come into order, so that the third year we planted some tobacco and made each of us a large piece of ground ready for planting canes in the year to come. But we both wanted help, and now I found, more than before, I had done wrong in parting with my boy Jury. But alas, for me to do wrong that never did right was no great wonder. I had no remedy but to go on. I had got into an employment quite remote to my genius, and directly contrary to the life I delighted in, and for which I forsook my father's house and broke through all his good advice. Nay, I was coming into the very middle station, or upper degree of low life which my father advised me to before, and which, if I resolved to go on with, I might as well have stayed at home, and never have fatigued myself in the world as I had done. And I used often to say to myself, I could have done this as well in England, among my friends, as have gone five thousand miles off to do it among strangers and savages in a wilderness and at such a distance as never to hear from any part of the world that had the least knowledge of me. In this manner I used to look upon my condition with the utmost regret. I had nobody to converse with, but now and then this neighbor. No work to be done, but by the labor of my hands. And I used to say I lived just like a man cast away upon some desolate island that had nobody there but himself. But how just has it been, and how should all men reflect? that when they compare their present conditions with others that are worse, heaven may oblige them to make the exchange, and be convinced of their former felicity by their experience. I say, how just has it been that the truly solitary life I reflected on, in an island of mere desolation, should be my lot, who had so often unjustly compared it with the life which I then led, in which, had I continued... I had in all probability been exceeding prosperous and rich. I was in some degree settled in my measures for carrying on the plantation before my kind friend, the captain of the ship that took me up at sea, went back, for the ship remained there, in providing his lading and preparing for his voyage, nearly three months. When telling him what little stock I had left behind me in London, he gave me this friendly and sincere advice. Senor Inglese," says he, for so he always called me. If you will give me letters and a procuration in form to me, with orders to the person who has your money in London, to send your effects to Lisbon, to such persons as I shall direct, and in such goods as are proper for this country, I will bring you the produce of them, God willing, at my return. But since human affairs are all subject to changes and disasters, I would have you give orders but for one hundred pounds sterling, which, you say, Is half your stock, and let the hazard be run for the first, so that if it come safe, you may order the rest the same way, and if it miscarry, you may have the other half to have recourse to for your supply. This was so wholesome advice, and looked so friendly, that I could not but be convinced it was the best course I could take, so I accordingly prepared letters to the gentlewoman with whom I had left my money, and a procuration to the Portuguese captain, as he desired. I wrote the English captain's widow a full account of all my adventures, my slavery, escape, and how I had met with the Portuguese captain at sea, the humanity of his behaviour, and what condition I was now in, with all other necessary directions for my supply; and when this honest captain came to Lisbon, he found means, by some of the English merchants there, to send over, not the order only, but a full account of my story to a merchant in London, who represented it effectually to her. Whereupon she not only delivered the money, but out of her own pocket sent the Portugal captain a very handsome present for his humanity and charity to me. The merchant in London, vesting this hundred pounds in English goods, such as the captain had written for, sent them directly to him at Lisbon, and he brought them all safe to me to the Brazils, among which, without my direction, for I was too young in my business to think of them, he had taken care to have all sorts of tools. "'Ironwork, and utensils necessary for my plantation, "'and which were of great use to me. "'When this cargo arrived, I thought my fortune made, "'for I was surprised with the joy of it, "'and my good steward, the captain, "'had laid out the five pounds "'which my friend had sent him for a present for himself, "'to purchase and bring me over a servant, "'under bond for six years' service, "'and would not accept of any consideration "'except a little tobacco, "'which I would have him accept, "'being of my own produce.' Neither was this all, for my goods being all English manufacture, such as cloths, stuffs, bays, and things particularly valuable and desirable in the country, I found means to sell them to a very great advantage, so that I may say I had more than four times the value of my first cargo, and was now infinitely beyond my poor neighbor, I mean in the advancement of my plantation. For the first thing I did, I bought me a Negro slave, and an European servant also, I mean another besides that which the captain brought me from Lisbon. But as abused prosperity is oftentimes made the very means of our greatest adversity, so it was with me. I went on the next year with great success in my plantation. I raised fifty great rolls of tobacco on my own ground, more than I had disposed of for necessaries among my neighbors. And these fifty rolls, being each of above a hundred weight, were well cured, and laid by against the return of the fleet from Lisbon. And now, increasing in business and wealth, my head began to be full of projects and undertakings beyond my reach, such as are, indeed, often the ruin of the best heads in business. Had I continued in the station I was now in, I had room for all the happy things to have yet befallen me, for which my father so earnestly recommended a quiet, retired life, and of which he had so sensibly described the middle station of life to be full of. But other things attended me. And I was still to be the wilful agent of all my own miseries, and particularly to increase my fault, and double the reflections upon myself, which in my future sorrows I should have leisure to make. All these miscarriages were procured by my apparent obstinate adhering to my foolish inclination of wandering abroad, and pursuing that inclination, in contradiction, to the clearest views of doing myself good in a fair and plain pursuit of those prospects. And those measures of life which nature and providence concurred to present me with, and to make my duty. As I had once done thus in my breaking away from my parents, so I could not be content now, but I must go and leave the happy view I had of being a rich and thriving man in my new plantation, only to pursue a rash and immoderate desire of rising faster than the nature of the thing admitted. And thus I cast myself down again into the deepest gulf of human misery that ever man fell into, or perhaps could be consistent with life and a state of health in the world. To come, then, by the just degrees to the particulars of this part of my story, you may suppose that having now lived almost four years in the Brazils, and beginning to thrive and prosper very well upon my plantation, I had not only learned the language— but had contracted acquaintance and friendship among my fellow planters, as well as among the merchants of St. Salvador, which was our port, and that in my discourses among them I had frequently given them an account of my two voyages to the coast of Guinea, the manner of trading with the Negroes there, and how easy it was to purchase, upon the coast for trifles, such as beads, toys, knives, scissors, hatchets, bits of glass, and the like, not only gold dust, guinea grains, elephant's teeth, etc., but Negroes, for the service of the Brazils, in great numbers. They listened always very attentively to my discourses on these heads, but especially to that part which related to the buying of Negroes, which was a trade at that time, not only far entered into, but, as far as it was, had been carried on by asientos, or permission of the kings of Spain and Portugal, and engrossed in the public stock, so that few Negroes were bought and these excessively dear. It happened, being in company with some merchants and planters of my acquaintance, and talking of those things very earnestly, three of them came to me next morning, and told me they had been musing very much upon what I had discoursed with them of the last night, and they came to make a secret proposal to me, and, after enjoining me to secrecy, They told me that they had a mind to fit out a ship to go to Guinea, that they had all plantations as well as I, and were straightened for nothing so much as servants, that as it was a trade that could not be carried on, because they could not publicly sell the Negroes when they came home, so they desired to make but one voyage, to bring the Negroes on shore privately, and divide them among their own plantations, and, in a word, the question was whether I would go their supercargo in the ship. To manage the trading part upon the coast of Guinea, and they offered me that I should have my equal share of the negroes without providing any part of the stock. This was a fair proposal, it must be confessed, had it been made to any one that had not had a settlement and a plantation of his own to look after, which was in a fair way of coming to be very considerable, and with a good stock upon it. But for me, that was thus entered and established, and had nothing to do but to go on as I had begun, for three or four more years, and to have sent for the other hundred pounds from England, and who in that time, and with that little addition, could scarce have failed of being worth three or four thousand pounds sterling, and that increasing, too. For me to think of such a voyage was the most preposterous thing that ever man in such circumstances could be guilty of. But I, that was born to be my own destroyer, could no more resist the offer than I could restrain my first rambling designs when my father's good counsel was lost upon me. In a word, I told them I would go with all my heart if they would undertake to look after my plantation in my absence, and would dispose of it to such as I should direct if I miscarried. This they all engaged to do, and entered into writings or covenants to do so. And I made a formal will disposing of my plantation and effects in case of my death, making the captain of the ship that had saved my life, as before, my universal heir, but obliging him to dispose of my effects as I had directed in my will, one half of the produce being to himself, and the other to be shipped to England. In short, I took all possible caution to preserve my effects and to keep up my plantation. Had I used half as much prudence to have looked into my own interest, and have made a judgment of what I ought to have done and not to have done, I had certainly never gone away from so prosperous an undertaking, leaving all the probable views of a thriving circumstance, and gone upon a voyage to sea, attended with all its common hazards, to say nothing of the reasons I had to expect particular misfortunes to myself. But I was hurried on, and obeyed blindly the dictates of my fancy, rather than my reason and accordingly the ship being fitted out, and the cargo furnished, and all things done, as by agreement, by my partners in the voyage, I went on board in an evil hour, the 1st September, 1659, being the same day eight years that I went from my father and mother at Hull, in order to act the rebel to their authority, and the fool to my own interests. Our ship was about 120 tons burden carried six guns and fourteen men, besides the master, his boy, and myself. We had on board no large cargo of goods, except of such toys as were fit for our trade with the Negroes, such as beads, bits of glass, shells, and other trifles, especially little looking-glasses, knives, scissors, hatchets, and the like. The same day I went on board we set sail, standing away to the northward upon our own coast, with design to stretch over for the African coast when we came about ten or twelve degrees of northern latitude, which, it seems, was the manner of course in those days. We had very good weather, only excessively hot, all the way upon our own coast, till we came to the height of Cape St. Augustino, from whence, keeping further off at sea, we lost sight of land, and steered as if we were bound for the Isle Fernando de Noronha, holding our course northeast by north, and leaving those isles on the east. In this course, we passed the line in about twelve days' time, and were, by our last observation, in seven degrees twenty-two minutes northern latitude, when a violent tornado, or hurricane, took us quite out of our knowledge. It began from the southeast, came about to the northwest, and then settled in the northeast, from whence it blew in such a terrible manner that for twelve days together we could do nothing but drive, and, scudding away before it, let it carry us whither fate and the fury of the winds directed. And during these twelve days, I need not say that I expected every day to be swallowed up, nor indeed did any in the ship expect to save their lives. In this distress, we had, besides the terror of the storm, one of our men died of the calenture, and one man and the boy washed overboard. About the twelfth day, the weather abating a little, the master made an observation as well as he could, and found that he was in about eleven degrees north latitude, but that he was twenty-two degrees of longitude difference west from Cape St. Augustino, so that he found that he was upon the coast of Guyana, or the northern part of Brazil, beyond the river Amazon, toward that of the river Orinoco, commonly called the Great River, and began to consult with me what course he should take, for the ship was leaky, and very much disabled, and he was going directly back to the coast of Brazil. I was positively against that, and looking over the charts of the sea coast of America with him, we concluded there was no inhabited country for us to have recourse to till we came within the circle of the Caribbean islands, and therefore resolved to stand away for Barbados, which, by keeping off at sea, To avoid the indraft of the bay, or Gulf of Mexico, we might easily perform, as we hoped, in about fifteen days' sail, whereas we could not possibly make our voyage to the coast of Africa without some assistance, both to our ship and to ourselves. With this design we changed our course, and steered away northwest by west, in order to reach some of our English islands, where I hoped for relief, but our voyage was otherwise determined. We come round right.